We uh, are continuing in our short series, uh, calling it The Art of Neighboring, or Who is My Neighbor, or something along the lines of thinking about our neighbors and praying for them. Uh, I gave you an, a magnet last week, and you were to fill it out, and you didn't know there was going to be a test today, but did you actually fill it out and, and uh, go through it? Um, truth be told, I forgot to take mine, and I didn't fill it out, so... <laughs> You know, I like to think that I'm better than everyone, and I don't have to do what I say. So um, I'm going to take mine home. Now, I, I did, like, mentally do it, and I picked out. And there's one neighbor I don't know yet, and I need to, uh, uh, need to work on that. Um, not for lack of trying, uh, but some of it is just, you know, awkward neighbor things. So. And then that social problem where, like, we've been neighbors for long enough that, like, I should know your name by now, and then, you know, there's like, hey, bud, or hey, pal, uh, and, you know, and all that awkward, uh, wonderfully awkward things that you go through. Uh, most of you are probably, or some of you are related to your neighbors, and so then there's that problem, too. So I realize we're, we're trying to figure out all of uh, those things, but I, I hope that it is an encouragement to you to simply pray for your neighbor and uh, see where God leads those conversations. Uh, this week, uh, Wendy and I were riding our bikes, and we checked in on our neighbors, and we found out some difficult news for one of our neighbors, uh, and we're going to figure out how to walk with them and, and pray for them and be with them. Uh, so, uh, so it's just interesting how God opens those doors as we start to pray for people, and we understand and know what they are going through. Uh, so as we continue in the series, it's, we're looking at the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 10. And we'll get to the text in a moment. Uh, but right now, I, I want to actually think about uh, the book of Genesis. I want to think about uh, creation itself. And I know it's familiar for us, and, and it's kind of like the old Sunday school lesson. Like, how many times are we going to talk about Noah and the ark? And how many times are we going to talk about um, uh, creation and God creating in seven days? But it's formative and foundational to understanding our identity, understanding who we are and how we function and and some important things. There's a lot revealed about our identity in the book of Genesis. And in particular, in Genesis 1 and 2, we learn about creation. We learn that God is forming and filling his creation, and he creates humankind. And at the end of each day, when God creates uh, the stars, and he creates the earth, and he creates the, he separates the land and the water, and the, he puts the fish in, in the sea, and the birds in the air, and all of those wonderful things, at the end of each day, God says... Nothing, apparently. He doesn't say anything at all. He says, it is, it is good. What's the first time God says something isn't good? It's not good for man to be alone. Renee gets the Bible or award. If it were camp, I'd give you a sticker and you could get free canteen for the day. Uh, now, so God says that the first moment that something isn't good is when man is alone. And if you think about uh, the sort of uh, epidemic of loneliness in our culture, is the news that you're hearing about depression, anxiety, worry, and loneliness, has it been really positive things lately? No, every, everyone is kind of like they are experiencing a uh, sort of epidemic of loneliness. It's not good that man would be alone. And as I think about the community, as I think about people that we interact with, 
as I experience life and go about life, one of the things that I hear over and over again in their own subtle ways is sort of the loneliness and suffering that people are just sort of operating and dealing with on an everyday basis, that they are just low-functioning or high-functioning but operating with this level of depression and anxiety and loneliness. What I, ex- what I expect is happening and what I, I feel like is happening is that there are people out there who know you, but they don't really know you. That there is this sense of, hey, you know, I don't know my neighbor's name, but I know where he is and I know where I can find him. That there's not this level of connection and, and depth of relationship with people in our life. That we are known by many people, but we aren't sincerely known. We aren't known for anything more than sometimes the conversations that we allow ourselves to have with people. It revolves around the weather, it revolves around uh, a few surface level things and likes and dislikes, what shows we're watching, uh, what our favorite thing is to do. But do we really know people? Do we know their hurts? Do we know their grief? Do we know what's going on with their grandkids that are, are just tearing at their heart? Do we know one another? And I, as I think about us, who have this sort of commonality, where we, can, uh, we know that our foundation is Christ and that our relationships uh, have a depth to them and they matter and they're significant, and even us, even between ourselves, there's this level of separation between how well we know one another. Imagine the sort of um, chasm between people who are Christians and non-Christians. Imagine the chasm for people who don't have the foundation of Christ, who don't have their identity rooted in him, who don't understand the vulnerability and the love of forgiveness and what forgiveness offers us. And that sort of chasm creates for them, where is their safety to build relationships on a deeper level? Where is that found? Is it found in the internet? Is it found in the hundred million ways in which people can interact with each other? How many different ways they can be known but not really truly known? I think that the loneliness epidemic, the, the loneliness problem is, is that we can be known but we can't be sincerely known. Because if someone finds out about ourselves, if someone finds out what we've done, then what happens when, you know, 20 years ago, you did something stupid. Who wants to, you know, who wants to be the first one to share it, huh? Dick, well, Dick, you're an open book, and we know all those stories, actually. Uh, that, the, you know, putting the truck in the lake, our personal favorite. Uh, but, uh, good grief, Dick, you got me uh, sidetracked here. Uh, aside from Dick Stouter, you know, who, uh, who is ready and set to share their brokenness and share... Share with someone deeply what's going on in their life. And so as I think about the loneliness factor, God says it's not good for man to be alone. And so as we wrestle, as we wrestle with that truth, as we know that it's not good for us to be alone, what is the sort of answer to that? And the text this morning may not feel like the answer to it, but I actually think the answer to the loneliness problem is found in the application of today's text. It's a familiar story. Last week we covered the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan story is the sort of surprise answer. The legal uh, expert who's trying to practice the law, he 
he asked Jesus the question, you know, how do you in- inherit eternal life? And, and, you know, what's the most important commandment? And, and God, I, I, and Jesus leads him along and, and helps him to see, uh, you know, it's to love God and love others and love your neighbor as yourself. And he's this challenging question of who is your neighbor? And the neighbor ends up being the Samaritan. The neighbor end, ending up being the Samaritan is the sort of surprise thing because culturally there was so much angst and so much uh, tension between the Samaritans and the Jews that it's really a surprise answer that comes, comes about from Jesus' parable. Then we're followed this, uh, Luke follows this story with a story of Mary and Martha. And we pick up in the text this morning in Luke 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do uh, do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and you are upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I'm 90% certain I've preached Luke 10 before, and I'm pretty sure that when I taught Luke 10 before, this is how it went, something along these lines. And when you hear Mary and Martha's story, this is usually what ends up getting taught, Uh, that, you know, you all stink because you've been working in the kitchen and you need to be more like Mary, right? Martha is busy trying to make preparations and she's doing all the hard uh, hard work of hosting and getting everything ready and she's ticked at Mary because Mary's not doing any of the work. But then Jesus does the sort of Jesus juke on her and says, well, Martha, you're worried about these things, but Mary, she's concerned about spending time with me. And then the big conclusion of the sermon is, is, hey, you all need to spend time with Jesus. Stop sucking, right? Yes, I use that word. I'm sorry if you're over 60. Um, But that's how it feels, and that's how it's been taught, right? Do you agree? Yes? No? Okay. Um, There's something else happening in this story, and I want, I hopefully, hopefully you will see it. The tension is not necessarily that Martha, uh, the, the point of the message, I don't think, is that, that Mary chose the better thing, being spending time with Jesus, and Martha was, Martha was doing a good thing, but you know, not the most important thing. That's in the text, that's, like, that's what's going on, but, but it's a social thing. There's a culture thing happening. Uh, Martha, in the kitchen, preparing and hosting, is doing what every woman before her would have done. It was the social custom of the day that the woman would host and that, uh, and that the men would be seated and listening. It was the woman's role to make sure that the, the men could hear from the rabbi. And what is happening when Mary is seated at the feet of Jesus and learning from him uh, she's doing something that would have been unheard of before Jesus. 
and I'm going to say this as, a, as offensive as possible, the woman's role was in the kitchen. And if you're properly offended by that, we have Jesus to thank to say that every person gets to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's a big gospel thing that says that you have a place at the feet of Jesus to learn from him. Whether you're male or female, you have a place to learn. And what the tension is happening is perhaps Martha is looking at the situation and realizing that Mary is doing something that she isn't supposed to be doing. And she's calling him back to say, come back and help me. And Jesus then gives the sort of uh, stamp of approval of what Mary is doing. And, she, and he says of her, she has chosen the better thing. And Mary becomes the sort of uh, glass ceiling breaker for all people who would feel like they don't have a place at the table with Jesus. That they don't have a place of learning. That they don't have a place to belong and connect with Christ. And so as we think about the text, and maybe there's that sort of taking the time with Jesus sort of thing, and that's a perfectly good sermon, and and the last time I preached it, I'm sure it changed your life. But the point of it is something far greater and far better, a deeper truth for everyone that says no matter where you came from and no matter what sort of social order and social expectations there are or whatever you feel about yourself or wherever you come from, whether you grew up in the church or you didn't, whether you've done something terribly wrong or only sort of wrong, whether you have never felt like you could enter enter into a church building, if you ever felt like you don't belong at all, Jesus is tearing down those barriers and he's saying you have a place with, you have a place with me. And I want you to hear the good news of that because this is just as surprising as the good Samaritan being the good guy. It's just as surprising that Mary has a place at the foot of Jesus. A place to learn and be taught. A place to learn and grow. And so this tension is happening and Jesus, he gives this blessing and he says, Mary has chosen the better thing. And you can have this place there as well. As I think about this then, and I think about what God is doing, we see this message get picked up by the other New Testament writers. Paul, he will say of, um, uh, to the church in Galatia, he'll say um, in, in uh, 3.26 in Galatians, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For you were all baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise. Paul is offering this invitation to say that you are all a part of the promise. You are all a part of the family of God. You all have a place, whether you're Jew or Greek, male or female. Jesus is reordering things. And it's it's not an exclusive club as to who gets to be a part of it. Everyone can be involved. So as I think about this, if that's true, If everyone has a place at the feet of Jesus, and this is the very best thing that we can choose, does my neighbor know that? Do the people in my life know 
that they have a place at the feet of Jesus to learn from him, to be cared for him, and by love by, love by him. And as I think about my life, and I think about the judgment, I think about the sort of lack of mercy that I can extend people, I know, I know it's impossible to think this, but every once in a while I sin and I don't do the right thing. And I have this frustration or this anger or I have this thing that I don't want to extend mercy and grace to someone. I start putting up these barriers about who gets to be in and who gets to be out. Last week, I, my challenge, my encouragement to you was to close the gap, to cross on the other side of the road, to be the one who shows mercy. And I asked you to know your neighbor's names and to pray for them. And now I'm asking you to sort of rinse and repeat and do it again, but I'm also asking you to think about this question and say, does my neighbor know that no matter what society has said of them, no matter what the church might have said of them, no matter how might they might feel about themselves and their past and whatever it is that they've done, whatever, if they're drinking, if they're smoking, if they're uh, smoking pot or whatever they're doing that we would typically be judgmental over. If they've done something wrong, if they have a criminal record, if they have have done any sort of thing that sort of makes them feel like this is their place do they know that there's a better option do they know that the chasm has been crossed that Jesus has come to draw near to them that they are welcomed at his feet because in the ancient world they created the social constructs to keep women out and now, what are the social constructs that we create to keep people out? And if we're honest with ourselves, we've done that. Not purposefully. I don't know anyone that's just like, yeah, we've got to keep them out. But it's just this brokenness that's within us. It's this fear that's within us. It's this whatever. I don't know. I don't have the answer on it. I just know that we have incidentally made people feel like they don't belong and they don't have a place. Whether it's because we're grumpy, that might be some of you. But there's something, right? You feel that tension. Does everyone know that they have a place at the foot of Jesus? So as I put this all together, I opened about loneliness. I opened talking about people feeling like they are alone and separated. And I think the answer is this text. The tension that's happening between Martha and Mary is Martha is really concerned about a lot of things. It says worry there. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 6 when he talks about don't worry about tomorrow for each day has enough trouble of its own. It's worry. It's these worries of all these troubles, of all these things that are going in day in and day out. And I just wonder how many folks are like Martha and they're filled with anxiety and worry and angst and frustration and all they have is the depressive loneliness of feeling like no one understands them and where is their place? 
And Jesus is inviting them in to say, come and draw near to me, and I will give you rest, I will give you peace, I will draw near to you as you draw near to me. I think the answer to the loneliness problem is church. I think the answer to the loneliness problem is Jesus Christ inviting people in and drawing them near. I think the answer is helping people know that they have a place at the foot of Jesus to be taught by him and loved by him and cared for. I ask an important question. Does your neighbor know that? I think it's an important question for yourself. Do you know that you have comfort for your loneliness? Do you know that you have someone drawing you away from the worries of this world and the worries of this life? There's a lot of times where I feel like I feel like my sermons land among the weeds. We know what happens. Jesus explains this parable of the sower and the so, uh, seed that is sown in the weeds it gets choked out by the worries of life there's a lot of things going on <laughs> and we are inundated over and over and over again of all the things that are wrong and all of these things that just sort of work us over and give us so much frustration and Jesus is saying Martha, Martha Come and sit with Mary. Come and be my disciple. Come and learn and grow and be blessed. Come and know that those worries and all of those things don't worry about tomorrow for each day has enough trouble of its own. Come and sit at my feet and seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Come and be blessed and sit with me. So it ends up really being about a time thing. That sermon is partially right, isn't it? That we would choose Jesus. Jesus over all of these things that make us feel like we don't have a place with him. And I'm telling you, you do. You can belong and you are loved and you have a place. It's called the kingdom of God and Jesus is your king. So I invite you to make whatever next steps that might be, whether it is making Jesus your Lord and Savior today, or if it's a next step towards whatever your relationship is with your neighbor. And preach this whole sermon to him, verbatim. You know, give it to him, lay it on him. Or simply pray this prayer. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to be a witness to my neighbor that I'm loved by you, and they are too. Let me be a witness to my neighbor to help them know that I am loved by you, and they are too. And let's see where God goes with that. And what God does with this simple burden on our hearts to know that we are loved and our neighbors are too. We pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for today. God, we have enough guilt to carry us for a long time down paths of worry and brokenness and loneliness. Lord, that we aren't doing enough to please you, that we aren't doing enough to draw near to you, 
and we beat ourselves up, God, over this text because we feel like we have fallen short. And God, your text reminds us, if we hear it well, that despite our failures and despite our worries and despite all of the things that we've forgotten or neglected or feel, feel separated from you over, you still invite us to be like Mary and sit at your feet to learn from you and be blessed by you and forgiven by you. And so, Lord, whatever's going on in our life today, these prayer, this prayer is for this congregation. Whether we're gathered together or online or unable to be here today, Lord, that we would know that we can draw near to you, that the loneliness, the depression, the anxiety, the things that we face, Lord, and we have a place with you. We can draw near to you, not out of obligation, not out of, out of fear, but out of joy. Jo joy of knowing that you're right there and you are cheering us on to be with you. We have a place with you. And God, as, as we embrace that for ourselves, our hearts and our minds turn to those who we live near. Lord, who don't yet know that they have a place with you, that they have a purpose with you, that they have a promise from you, that they are loved by you. And so we pray, Lord, for our neighbor, that we would be a witness showing that we are loved by you and that they are too. We thank you for Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand in response?